The struggle with my mother was under put pressure on me because psychologically I was aware of it, so I couldn't ignore it. So wherever I can fill in and help out, I always felt pressured and compelled to make things less strenuous. Going to and from school, regardless if you gang banged or not, you were always subjected to some type of violence. I discovered my talent at football there. I was the starting running back at Mayfair for a So you were playing football, huh? When Correct. you were young? Okay. Correct. Um, what were you playing, running back? Running back, of course. I yeah. can see that. All right, for sure. <laughs> Makes sense, for sure. Yeah. Welcome back to Retro Network Podcast. It's your boy, Yak. It's your boy, T. Oof. Man, T, we got a big one for us we today, man. Big one. A big one. We've been waiting for this one for a while now. This one's special yeah. because, uh, I mean, a lot of y'all might recognize him. Um, a lot, a lot of y'all might want to know a lot about the story because we don't know what happened, right? But more importantly, we kind of want to learn from it too. We want to be able to educate and educate our viewers, our individuals, because they saw a little bit about this person's life on film, man. And now we want to talk about what it looks like after that, you know, uh, yeah. what the ultimate yeah. goals are like. How did the recovery process take place? Um, so with that being said, man, we have a really big person in the building right now. I want to give a warm welcome to our boy, Darrell Wayne Edwards Jr. up in here, bro. Let's give him a round of applause, bro. Thank you. Let's get it. When uh, when you first came to, to PV Jobs, I was like, when I met you, I'm like, bro, like, bro, you're like a really dope dude. Like, you're kind-hearted, bro. I was like, you was super nice. Um, and I appreciate that because... Um, you knew what the efforts are for the podcast. Mm -hmm. You knew why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the ultimate goal, to mentor people and help me. I say this every time, mentor and talk about opportunities to help others out. Um, but this is really special. We appreciate you taking time and working with us on this part to make it happen. Um, now we really want to get to know who you are, um, especially as a person now. Especially, uh, I'm sure a lot of development has taken place. Right, right? Most, most definitely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your growth because obviously we know you from the movie They Call Us Monsters mm -hmm. um, and people probably saw it from the thumbnail already, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we want to talk a little bit of the development that led to that part of your life okay. and what it looked like after, right? Okay. Um, so let's touch a little bit about Long Beach because Long Beach is, is pretty much where you grew up, right? Right. What was that experience like? Um, Long Beach, my hometown, diverse, skateboards, vans, the beach, obviously. Right. Um, there was pretty much where I discovered my passion for either music and, and the thing that just made the whole culture in the black and brown community. And mm -hmm. with that came everything else. Um, I wasn't able to go to school in Long Beach. I ended up going to school in Lakewood due to some incidents that happened around that time. But, you know, Long Beach is pretty much what put me on a path to discovering myself through the diversities that it offered. Gotcha. Now, you stay with Pa or Ma at this time? Like your dad or father? I mean, I'm sorry, your father or your mother? Staying time? with Madre at the time. Okay. Yeah. You had your siblings there as well? Correct. My three sisters. You're the you're the second oldest? The oldest boy. You're the oldest. Oldest man, excuse me. The oldest man my mom gave birth to. Hey, excuse like, me. With, excuse with me. sisters, a bunch of sisters, huh? That, yeah. That's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Yeah, that definitely. Thing, right? Being only, you know, male in the house. Yeah. What was that like, being the only male? Um, it, for me, it was natural. I mean, being around my sisters, I, again, I knew myself. I always felt like I was myself. Mm -hmm. So being around them and setting examples for them came easy. I mean, here and there with the little nagging, you know, the things that come yeah. with, you know, being in the house with females, that was, you know, something I had to adjust to. But overall, it was it was good growing up with my siblings. We was always we was all we had, so we made the most of it. And mom was yeah. working, like, during this time. Sorry to cut you off. Like, she was, like, working and trying to really support the whole family? Correct. Correct. Gotcha. I guess uh, one thing that we always try to like uh, point out or talk about is just like that experience as well at a young age. We've talked about with other interviews, we've talked about what it looks like to be a single mother, right? Mm -hmm. uh, working nights, eventually you taking that role as like being the male figure in the household. 
um, it takes a lot of toll on the person actually doing it. Right. So what kind of tolls do you feel like it took on you if it did at all? Uh, well, being fully aware and receptive to the struggle, my mother was under put pressure on me because psychologically I was aware of it, so I couldn't ignore it. So wherever I can fill in and help out, I always felt pressured and compelled to make things less strenuous on my on my mother so she wouldn't act out irrational or cause any other problems that was that would put us potentially further under. So if there was something, whether it was taken out the trash or if I can go push my little lawnmower down the street and help out and earn a few bucks so I can help her out, it made the situation better. That's pretty much how I would handle it. Gotcha. Now you started, so you were going to school in a different location. What was that experience like too? Because now you're not used to seeing the same people that you're, right. you're used to seeing. So what was that? Uh, Mayfair, I went to Mayfair High School. Mm-hmm. Mayfair was pretty cool. Um, I discovered my talent in football there. No I was way. the starting running back at Mayfair for a cool So you were playing football, huh, when Correct. you were young? Okay. Correct. Um, what were you playing, running back? Running back, of course. I yeah. can see that. All right, show. <laughs> Makes sense, for sure. Yeah, so yeah, Mayfair, Mayfair was good. Um, I gained a lot of friends there, became very popular through football, and got to meet some cool people. Um, it was overall a great experience for mm-hmm. me. Now, with the, you had a lot of experience prior to that, though, when you were, you were already kind of, like, in the game a little bit, right? Right. At that time. Um, so you started participating in, like, these kind of activities that led you to your sentence. Like, at what age would you say? Well, I was exposed to that very early, almost, mm-hmm. like, in a sense, born into it. So when I did develop a conscious, that was already right there in front of it. Gotcha. So it wasn't in foreign. It actually became fairly normal, whereas being outside of an environment where it was abnormal was abnormal to me. So, yeah. Um, in ninth, in the ninth grade, uh, you know, when I started intro- introducing myself to other people, I would discover different backgrounds from what the little norm or the niche that I was boxed in, and that's when I became more aware of other activities and things of that nature. You, you know what trips me out is uh, you were seventeen on the documentary when you mm-hmm. caught that big sentence, mm-hmm. but I know from chopping it up. You had been in and out the halls a couple of times prior to that. Right. Um, take us back to maybe the first time going to the halls and what was like mom's reaction knowing that her boy, the head of household, was starting to get into that path. Right. Well, I got my first tattoo at 13. So my no mother way. discovered that. Yeah, she went ballistic. She she went in on me. Um, How did she find that out? <laughs> I was actually in her room. Wasn't thinking. I had my white shirt on and I had yeah, it patched yeah. all under my chest. It was my grandmother's name so uh-huh. I could lessen the pressure if I was to face any repercussions from it. And she came right in and looked at my chest and right away she identified it and just, she went in over, she couldn't do nothing about it because it was my grandmother's name. Yeah. So she okayed it, but I think that kind of started the process of her understanding that, okay, maybe if he had access to getting that, what else is he getting into? Mm. So uh, by the time I turned 14 and I got, I was arrested for possession of a firearm, uh, that broke her heart. But that experience at that time for me, I was pretty much I was pretty much numb to her feelings and thought I was only affecting myself at that time. So, I mean, she was there to support me. She came to the court dates and all mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and expressed her concern to the judges. And, you know, however that contributed to the sentence that I got, it worked out in our favor and I was able to return back home to her eventually. So so at that age, getting caught for a gun, um, what was your, your were, were the gang banging and all that an issue already? Was that already kind of like the trajectory Hence the need for a gun, or were you still kind of just doing you, messing around? Um, because, you know, once you get into the hood and all that starts happening, you start doing more. Right. Or it either goes right or left. You either right. do more or you realize, you know what? I got busted. This ain't for me. I'm going to go the other route. Right. But uh, how, how did that end up, like, unfolding for you? Uh, by 14, I was already affiliated. 
So, so early, young. Correct. And, and and that already brings me to the question, like, even the tattoo, how easy is it for a youngster to get a tattoo at 13 years old? As easy as it was to get currency. If you had the currency, <laughs> right. wasn't going to ask no questions. Crazy, yeah. right? Definitely. But, you know, it kind of is trippy, though. Seeing it now, it's like, fuck, low-key, you're a little kid, you right. know? And uh, but I get it. We do it to ourselves. You know, we don't know and understand that. Yes, we were misguided, and there's some fault there too. Right. But I mean, at the end of the day, we make these decisions. Um, so you get busted for this gun. That wasn't enough. You go to the halls and all that. Yeah, that didn't stop. That didn't stop, huh? <laughs> after 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 release, after those 46 days, it felt like five days. And then if you return back to that environment, it's easy mm-hmm. to kind of let that effect that that environment had on you fall off like locusts. It just never happened. In that moment, because you're only living in the moment at that age. It's not so much you, you know, thinking or planning ahead. It's now, how can I get to where I'm going? And so on and so forth. I have a question on this. Uh, with your affiliation, when you, you know, you started game banging, was this something that you were looking up to, to being part of something, like a gang? Or is it something you felt like it was no, a normality? It was. You said it was already normal. It was already surrounded by right. you. But were you expecting question, it? Were you yeah. excited to be part of it? Or is it just like... Maybe even felt like you were forced in it. I'm just trying to get that idea off. Not that I'm trying to put anything out there. It was it was it was a combination of of all those things. A combination of being recruited, who you were being recruited from, and to be um, satisfied with that recruitment based off the reputation they had. Mm-hmm. A part of it was cultural. Um, a part of it was influence and peer pressure. So all of those things that that came in at one time helped make that decision. Whether I had to say in it or not, I still complied with it. Um, so. When I joined, I felt like I accomplished something. There was someone and people around me that had things in common opposed to other places where I didn't have it. I don't know math or I don't have a parent that is uh, fortunate enough to enroll me in a private school. So here I have a purpose. So with that purpose, I felt the gratitude and the exception. I was cool with it at that time. Was it something you were chasing? Around? Around. Yeah. No, I wasn't. So going to and from school, regardless if you gang banked or not, you were always subjected to some type of violence. So uh, hanging with the group I hung with, I was cool to not gangbang as long as we held our own. If we didn't support whatever was happening regarding the, you getting jumped for your kicks or you had a sidekick. At that time, sidekicks were popping. Yeah. So people people were snatching sidekicks. Mm-hmm. So um, either we were snatching sidekicks, and I mean by we, meaning the group I was hanging with, whether I was involved or not, mm-hmm. um, or if someone was trying to take our sidekick, you program. And if you didn't program, we had to talk about it when we went home. So down the line, it just was like, you know, the conversation came about, where you with us, you always hang with us, everybody knows you for hanging with us. At this point, you may as well just go in there and get involved all the way. So at 14, you young, you got the influence around you, you ain't really, you're not really fully receptive to the actions and the decisions you're making at that time. So one thing led to another. Hey, at that age, just think about like how long a day is. Right, right. You just seem like, God damn, why can't tomorrow come? Why isn't the summer here? Right. And when you get a little older, you're like, man, it's the opposite. Exactly. What's going on here? Um, you know what's trippy too? Pops was involved, mm-hmm. right? right? Because he was part of the documentary. I remember the the part of it when they were reading the letter, and we'll jump into that too. But um, what was uh, Pops's his feelings behind this, knowing that his son was was headed towards this path? My father' whole perception on, on my life of, of crime and being in the streets was, I know you're my son, and I know you're gonna do it anyway. So rather than trying to sit here and be this parent that's telling you what you shouldn't do and shouldn't do, knowing being rational, how teenagers gonna respond to things when parents or no one's around to supervise anyone, allowed me to educate you on how to do the things you're doing so I don't get a phone call and I lose my son. So I kept, I kind of kept it hidden, but 
it was only really me. I was like basically keeping a secret with myself. My father knew what was going on. And it was really like out of his hands. The best thing he could do was just give me the tools I needed to get through. So that was his stance on the whole thing. Mm, yeah, I know what you mean. If you're, you're already a, a big boy, you're making decisions, you're going to do what you're going to do. So let me go ahead and bless you with right. whatever knowledge I can give you right. to help to not help you in that pathway, but to just know that you're going to be all right. Right. You right. Know? Some may, people may not understand that, but we're, we're strong characters at mm -hmm. those ages. You know, mm -hmm. we got strong personalities. It's hard to control young male. You right. Know? Um, with pops or without pops, you know. Right. Um, so you end up getting busted a couple times. It, none of that ever stopped you. None of that ever said, you know what? You still had sports going on at the same time and all yes, that. Yes, I did. Yeah, none I of did. that was like, man, the girls got the sports and all that. Like I don't, you know. <laughs> and that's well, yeah. See, when you met, it was a lot going on at that time. So the confidence that I was building in different um, niches that I was caught up in, whether it been the streets, whether it been at home, my role I played at home. When I went to school, being popular, hearing my name over the intercom about how many touchdowns I made, having all that wow. at one time was like a big rush. So it put me on a high. So I didn't really have time, like kind of like in a sense with a celebrity. You're going from tour to tour to tour. You don't really have time to get to know yourself mm -hmm. or get to connect with people. It's a program, and this is this is how you perform, and this is what we expect of you. So at that time, I wasn't really able to sit and think about things. People were trying, but I feel like I look at it like this. When people give advice... And even now, people will say, I told you, or I told you. It's like building construction, and you're building a bridge. And I put a sign up that says it's cool to drive. Because I'm building a bridge, didn't make it complete, didn't make it efficient. Mm -hmm. But you told me to drive on the bridge, and when I drove, I failed. So I feel like a lot of advice was being missed. It was, it was incomplete, and that ultimately misled me, in a sense. Gotcha. Mm. Makes sense. Makes a, makes a lot of sense. That's a, that's a strong point. Yeah. With that too, so you're technically living that like that superstar life in high school, mm -hmm. and then you're done, and you go home. Now you're living that superstar life in the game banging world, too. right? So you're getting it from both worlds, right? What, what was time like for you? Because with family, like family time, like what was that like for you? You weren't even doing any of that at that point, right? I'm sure you were too busy. Even your little sisters, nothing. No. What was your like? Were your little sisters seeing this too? Like as it as it progressed? I was never really home by the age of fourteen. Oh, I was out already, so they weren't. Yeah. Okay, which I mean, would you say is a good thing at the same time? Um, I well, not that I have a personality disorder, but those are different environments that required you to be a different person with a different character. Mm -hmm. So when I was at home, I was at home, I was safe. When I was in the streets, it wasn't that I was faking or I was somebody else, but I was what I needed to be to be in the streets. So when I came home, I was that big brother. I got to play with the kids, and mom said, "Don't mm -hmm. touch the Oreos. I'm the one giving you the Oreo cookies." You know what the, I'm saying? The, the good uncle, huh? The, the yeah, uncle the good likes. uncle, the good yeah. brother, the good son. So that that was the role I played, which kind of played a role in it, keeping it hidden from them, not really bringing the streets into the household. But uh, yeah, when I left out that door and I'd be gone for however long I'd be gone, that's usually when I did whatever I did outside of the house setting. So you you at least built that kind of maturity, knowing like not to bring this shit home. Right. That's fire. That's, that's fire. Right. Yeah, some motherfuckers just take it home and end up getting their people shot. Right. You know, house is shot and you're right. like, Damn, you, you, what do they say? Don't where you sleep type yeah, of deal, you know? Exactly. Um, damn, okay, D. So take us to, um. so we know you got busted a couple times and then that ultimately led you, or that same path led you to to getting busted for, for the big one. And again, we could call it whatever. Right. But uh, like I tell people, I think people don't know outside of the reentry community that within the reentry community, we talk about these things because these are uh, pivotal moments in our lives and we use this. Mm -hmm. it, it really defines us. Because, you know, if depending on what you do from that point forward will also determine your pathway in life. You right. know, do you want to get your shit together 
and go to self-help groups or do you want to fuck around and maybe still get it together but why wait 15 years why right. not get the ball rolling right um what you get busted for that ultimately led you to the big juvenile hall sentence and then ultimately to prison this, that whole case so i was arrested for 664187 which is the penal code for attempted murder and that was at the age of 16 um 16 and this was in long beach still yes okay yes in long beach I was sent to, no, I was in Vegas and I was extradited out here to California. Mm -hmm. From there, I went to LP, from LP to the compound, which is where they house youth offenders being tried as adults. So from there, I was practically, or technically, according to them, I was an adult, not a minor. And uh, I was sentenced by the age of 18 and I sent to prison. Yeah. So, so just to backtrack a little bit, during this whole time, did your moms or pops know how serious the crime was that you were fighting? Yeah, they knew. Did you tell them, like, hey, you know what? I'm maybe not exactly, but hey, there's something going on, I may have to disappear type of deal, and then end up going to Vegas, or, or how'd that unfold? They were they were aware of the circumstances, but I tried to keep them less informed. Mm -hmm. That way, if they were confronted, I didn't implement them in anything or put them in any predicament. So I tried to handle it on my own, which wasn't a bright idea. Ultimately, mm -hmm. it led to what it led to, but yeah. I thought I was doing best by them by doing what I was doing, moving how I moved. But they were aware. I mean, like I said, we, my mom's from Compton, my father's from Compton. I grew yeah, up in yeah. Long Beach. She moved to Long Beach to try to live a better life and we were met with other obstacles there when we got there but they knew what time it was so uh when the time came i mean she was heartbroken my father was heartbroken but the experience and the knowledge he had coming from that background he had already knew how to handle it in court which worked in my favor crazy huh how yeah. how uh important that is to understand simply even what a what a discovery is you right know? right um having somebody to be able to ask that um so you, you get extradited from Vegas. How did that whole thing happen? You were a minor right. and they picked you up on the, on the strip or something? Or how did that <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like, I mean, did they fly yeah. you over here? Like, <laughs> this is my first time hearing something like that. I was uh, staying with a friend. I was probably about 10, 15 minutes away from the strip. And uh, the person I was actually staying with turned me in. That's how I got caught. Damn. Yeah. Well, in Vegas? Turned me in, yep. Turned me in. It was doing bad. I didn't... I didn't catch on. Like I said, I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't receptive retaining the information that was provided, the key details and things like that. I was just focused on one thing, and I was trying to stay out of custody. So um, I was asked to go to the store, and in the process of us going to the store, I started noticing things that didn't sit right. I'm already in a different state, different city. Uh, you know, you got that whole gangbang mentality, so I'm being more aware of my surroundings and where I'm going. And um, through those traits, I discovered this van, and it had these interrogation windows on it. It was a soccer mom van. So I thought that was odd. Like, you don't see that where we from. So I'm like, you know, I'm in Vegas. Maybe it's, this is something that Vegas just do. So I kept walking. And as I was walking, I seen a similar van that looked identical to the van I just seen. So that caught my attention. By the time I put two and two together, the U.S. Marshals was already on me. And when I figured everything out, I was already in the holding cell. So, yeah, I waited. Oh, real deal, huh? Like the, the movies. Man, the that's, that's what it felt like. Straight out of Hollywood. A script straight out of Hollywood. What was that time between from the actual incident, that's the incident, and then picking you up? Like, how long yeah. was that? A month later. Were you feeling any kind of way knowing, like, you know, one went down or that, that, like, attempted murder scene was part of your daily or part of your life already? That wasn't anything big that you think you get catch, caught for? It was it was, it was was big when, when the authorities was looking for you. It was regular, kind of like you said, when it came to it happening in the neighborhood because... We've been shot at numerous times, and I've watched as a kid, no one yeah. give reports. So that was normal. Like, all right, this happens. You don't tell the authorities. Um, but once I knew the authorities were looking for me is when I kind of had an idea without knowing what was to come of that idea. I knew that, you know, I would be met with some force regarding my actions. 
Damn, that's that's nuts. So it ended up being on the run for a little bit, a month, which isn't even a lot, you know, but uh, I'm sure it was was a stressful time thinking about they gonna pick me up any moment. Right. So you get extradited, U.S. Marshals. How does that, how how do they handle minors? You go on a plane? Is that like straight up Con Air type of thing like in the movies or? It drove me back. As a matter of fact, the dudes that picked me up was from Vegas. So they sat on me for a while. They didn't even come get me right away. They sat on me for a while. I got to see their family did their thing and then when they got their call, they agreed to being ready to come pick me up. They picked me up that day and drove me back. Where did they, where did they drive you back to? Uh, to Lakewood, to Lakewood Sheriff's Station. Oh, because yeah. that's the. Okay. Oh well, in Vegas when I, I went to their juvenile hall, I stayed there for a week. Okay. So okay. if they don't if they don't pick you up in ten days, regardless of the crime, you'd be released. But since I was a minor, someone would have to come pick me up, mm. and I had no family over there at that time, so um, I didn't even get to, that far to figure it out. They came and got me like on the eighth day. I'm sitting there counting, and like you said, the days was long, man. I'm like, please don't come get me. This is crazy. <laughs> you really think about it, bro. What is a sixteen year old doing by themselves in Vegas? without any family out there. What are you doing out there without anybody? Like, I can't even go on my own to Walmart without bringing somebody <laughs> with me, bro. The fact that you went to a whole yeah. different state to do that, like, what were you doing, bro? Man. You're 16. Yeah. yeah. Like, is it some, is it, was it like the, like the, your, your group of people came over here, like your, your, some of your friends from the gang, they like, yo, come through, there's a lot of money out here, there's a lot of experiences out here. What was it that attracted you to Vegas? Um, that was the that was the nearest state and the route. I don't recall the bus I took, but the bus didn't drive through the checkpoint. So I was again trying to avoid uh, being noticed. You, you went up there in the Greyhound. Yeah, the Greyhound. Man, nobody checked tough. you. Nobody was like, "Yo, you're too old, too young." No, I didn't. I, I mean, I've always looked older than my age, so nobody thought twice. Uh, the demeanor and everything like that, based off of having to grow up so fast, always got me through those through those channels. And the Greyhound is rough. A lot of people don't know the Greyhound <laughs> is rough. On any given day, you will run into some crazy situations on those Greyhounds. I didn't know, but I learned yeah. the moment I stepped yeah. on that bus. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, like, yeah. I'm curious to know now what kind of situations you guys are talking about, man. Ah, just in general, situations like that. People on the run, people that are transporting drugs, ah, people that are fighting. Like, yeah. the Greyhound is known to get you caught up, quote-unquote. Right? Mm-hmm. People are trying to start new lives, in other words, too. Also, like, it's a weather, right. little bit of everything, right. you know? Right. And especially yeah. going to Vegas, you're going to get a lot of that. Right. You did um, it on your own? You didn't hop on, on Grey, like the Greyhound with anybody else? Like you did no. So no, 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 no feeling, nothing like... Just me and my Yankee backpack. What was your ultimate goal? To get Good there. Question. And, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh... At that moment, when I knew the authorities were looking for me, I realized how serious things were getting. I had to start thinking. Damn. Like, damn, wait, hold on. This isn't the norm. I didn't plan for this. So my brain hadn't took the time to think or ponder on a situation like that and how to handle it. I had it surfaced up. So in that moment, everything was hitting me like a ton of bricks. So I was telling myself constantly, like, if I get out of this, then I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Go to Texas. Go stay with my family in Texas. Go back, which I liked. I went to school in Texas. And, uh, you know, I felt that I'd be alleviated and, and free of the Los Angeles culture and the gangs and all of those things that I could focus on me. But I wasn't able to get that far in my plans. So 30 days in, they take you to the Lakewood Sheriff Station, you said? Correct. And then what they do, they that's a straight up booking and you still don't know your charges, even though you knew the charges, but right. <laughs> they, uh, they take a couple days or something? No, they told me within an hour. They, well, they read my rights and they read me my rights. They told me that I was being charged with and um, when I got to the Lakewood Sheriff Station, they put me in an interrogation room and basically told me my quote-unquote crime partner had told him everything and gave you the whole rundown. It's best if you tell us everything. And 
Um, like I said, my father had already educated me on everything, so I knew better than to go in there and make matters worse. So if it was already finito, I just let it be what it was. And I sat there for about three hours in that cold Odin cell and then was sent to LP. Now you didn't get like a they didn't get a you don't get to the public defender just yet or anything like that would no. you? No, not until you start going to the courts. Or you yeah, start, like after your first yeah. thing, and then you'll you'll get a temporary one that's just gonna read you your paper or present you in court, right. and he's gonna tell you you're just gonna say not guilty, and somebody will be assigned to you a month from now or something. Right. Yeah. That's um, what was the trip going to to juvenile hall, knowing that you had already been there a couple times? Was it kind of like, all right, cool, I'm in it for the long haul, but this ain't nothing new. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I had no idea that I was going to... I didn't know nothing about a fitness. I had no idea about mm. being trialed as an adult. I'm 16, so I'm like, right. the worst could happen. I was thinking I was going to get 18 months camp, and I didn't want that. So I'm like... That was a long time. That was a long yeah. time, 18 months to a high school kid. I hadn't been to prom yet. I hadn't graduated. So I'm thinking about all those things at that time. And uh, two days within me being at Los Padrinos, I was told that I lost my file, which is when I was educated on what a fitness was. And I lost my fitness here without even having a fitness here. So two days in, two days in LP. without, like you said, even presented in court, they didn't do. And again, I'm sure you, you know that a crime was committed and you got to do something, you know, right. you gotta, you gotta step up to whatever repercussions come with it, right. but then there's a due process. And so you, you, they have to stick to that as well. Right. And right. in this case, you would think, um, a justice, which is basically you're, you're fighting for your right to stay in juvenile court. Right. Um, while the court's saying that, you know what, no, you're fit as an adult, an adult yeah. you know it, you know. Um, what was uh, Moms and Pops thinking when, or what was that first phone call like when they found out that you got, they brought you back and you were in the halls? Well, I made I made a phone call. I didn't call my mom right away. I didn't call my parents until I got to the compound. So you got to the compound. Right. So at this time, I had no idea that I was on America's Most Wanted. Is oh, that right? Really? I had, right. what? Okay. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to the news. I had no idea that there was a camera crew on standby when the U.S. Marshals had uh, arrested me. So when I get to the compound and I call my mom, as soon as she heard the little collect call process and all that, she answered and she was just in tears. I'm like, Mom, what you crying for? At this time, like I said, everything, even though I knew I was in a situation, I had known how strenuous it was going to get for me down the line. Yeah. So she's boohooing on the phone. I'm like, Mom, why are you crying? She's like, man, you on TV? I'm like, on TV? Like... I wasn't in no music video or I ain't done that. What do you mean I'm on TV? I ain't famous. Yeah, Yeah. what are you talking about? And she's like, man, I seen you on America's Most Wanted. I'm like, nah. Growing up watching that in the household, you see people on America's Most Wanted. It's bad. It's pretty much, it's it's over with for you. So I'm like, you sure it was me? She was like, yeah, you was walking down the street smoking a cigarette, brushing your hair. I know your walk, you my son. I'm like, what? And I just went silent on the phone at that time. Like, whoa. So then each time, like I said, I looked up, one thing turned into another and I started understanding, okay, this is big. Like, damn, what's going to happen? So uh, my mother had told me that, and I called my father, got the same reaction. And everybody else pretty much that I was calling. For whatever reason, that day, everybody was watching America's Most Wanted, and I happened to be on it. So, Oh, wait. What are the chances of that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, how were they portraying you? Wait, you said they had film of you smoking. She, she saw on TV you were smoking, and you were, like, right. walking. And, what what smoking kind of video were they seeing? The like, That's funny, man. Where did they get oh. a video like that? Man, the standby camera crew, I wasn't paying attention with those greyhounds on me. I was more so focused on not trying to get bit. But I guess the people standing by when it was happening, that's what they were recording, the whole incident. Wow, so they were watching you the whole the way. The whole they time. You were, were exactly. You oh, yeah. that is wild. That is wild. Like, do the camera crews get notified? Like, hey, we're going to capture a, a, run, a runaway or a most wanted person. Right. And they rush there, and then they don't do it until they're there. Or, mm-hmm. That brings something like that into question for sure. You know what I mean? Like... 
I wonder if yeah, if you became like America's Most Wanted because you left the state. Is that probably what it is, I or don't know. you know what? Where where puts where does that put you? Like the rankings? Because I'm sure there's a lot of attempted murders, right? Or people that are running for attempted murder. I mean, for you, you're only what a month out, right? And that's when they found you. I'm curious to know kind of what their level is like. Yeah, what makes you America's Most Wanted, right? Uh, but other What's than the criteria that, for that, yeah, right? Actually, you know what? Let's not because I don't want to highlight that, right? Let's not <laughs> highlight that. You don't want to be on that shit. Right, you don't ever right. want to be on no, that. True. No, you should never. No. Um, so now you're hearing this, um, and then you also just found out. This is at this time. Did you also just found out that your fitness was denied? Right. You right. Said? What was that like emotionally, knowing that whole oh, shit? Now I have to do tri- like adult shit. Like this is adult trial now. Like this is. So when they told me, when they broke down the whole process about being tried as an adult, I thought it was a joke. Like, I'm still a kid. I, I had no, I never met no one that was tried as an adult. So I'm like, how could you be serious? I'm a teenager and you're going to try me as an adult. So once I start discovering, you know, more people coming back from court and I got set into the compound, I'm seeing this dude get 80, this dude get 40. So I'm Damn. like, oh, these people really giving us, you know, time as if we were adults. And at that time, like we were aware of what we were doing. Not mm-hmm. to say I was unaware, but... In that moment, when I made that decision, now where I'm at as an adult, I would have never moved the way I moved at that time. Right. So being treated like a fully comprehensive adult, a fully functioning, you know, mental aware adult was was a shock to me. So, so it wasn't this idea because, and I say I bring this up because of other interviews. It wasn't this idea where like shit, hell yeah, now it's prison time. Like let's get it. Like this is. This is the big dogs now. You already knew at that yeah, time. Right. Some people, I fucked uh, up. Like I really could have made things right. done things different. Right. So you already kind of you already matured on that part, knowing like what I did was fucked up and and that. Immediately. Once he mentioned that 90 years in court at first hearing, I was like, whoa. <sighs> what happened? Is it is it like that. one of the reactions like yeah. for attempted murder? You know, like you don't understand the gravity of the situation. You right. know, people don't tell you that that literally just even fire discharging a firearm in public is going to give you some years. Right, you know? right. I think so up to twenty. Alone, is it? Yeah, Jesus, up to twenty. That's know? the maximum so, sentence you can get. What can they get you for? Like, they want to get you for a term, attempted murder, but what? At least gun enhancement for show. Inhabited house, dwelling. Okay. You know, it goes on and on. And again, you shouldn't be doing that in the first place. Right. But some of them just kind of make you question some of the stuff. Twenty years for something like that. But again, more so being 16 and not understanding these things, like bro, you you this is not something a patty cake type of crime. Right. This is you're gonna you're you know we don't it may like right now we're talking about it and it's for real. Mm-hmm. But at the time, um, you're like it's impossible though. Right. I'm not, what yeah. do you mean 90 years? Right. It doesn't you know. Right. So take like what were you feeling like as soon as you heard him say it? What what were you thinking? I started behaving like a depressed teenager without the depression though. I was still kind of numb. Like I was. When I did have time to think, like I said, everything that I didn't have the time to think for prior to that moment, everything was hitting me at once. So I would lay down in my room a lot, staring at the ceiling, blinking space, but thinking. And just like, wow, really like numb. Not Like I said, I hadn't begun to, I hadn't been there to know what I was up against in, in the future. So I was more so focused on the 90, how I'm going to react to it, how I'm going to handle it. I'm young. Um, can I do life? My daughter, my parents. The whole daughter yeah, my already. Daughter. Yeah, glad you caught that. Age, huh? Yeah. What, what age did you have your daughter? At 15. 15. You were a baby having a baby. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Man. Right. Yeah. So at the time you were running, you already had the you already had your daughter. She was 10 months when I left. So that's Ten another months. large step you had to take. Should mm-hmm. I am I leaving this baby too to go start my own life? Right. Did you think think about that at all? I did. I did. And like the movies, like you said, I already started trying to figure out a way to sneak back around and be there for graduation without, you know, being seen and caught up. I was really planning the whole thing out. Um, but 
I was more concerned about how if my life was to end right now, had I done enough or mm. what would I leave behind for my parents outside of my kid. And that's where I said, like, the growth and the change started to happen because I realized I hadn't left and I hadn't done anything. I hadn't really left an imprint in life yet. So that's when I started maturing and realizing my charges, my situation, and mm -hmm. feeling remorse and wanting to do different. What about the baby mama? Um, my baby mom's at that time. She was still finding herself. She was supporting. She was supportive of the situation. And, you know, you can do no wrong in baby mom's eyes because she lays with me. So she knows my heart. Mm -hmm. We're with each other mm -hmm. all the time. So she really didn't look at me the way the media tried to portray me to be. But um, she had had enough of that lifestyle as well. So we were, and, and I'm sure it was new to her too, having right. a baby now and right. you gone. Right. So it was. Uh, that's where you start to really realize, holy shit! Not only did I do this to myself, but the people around me. Right. And I left my family alone. So. So you're getting experience with media right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're, I'm getting to the film with this one, right? So an LP is. I think LP when you're an LP is when they took they started filming. Um, they call us monsters, right? No, that wasn't until Silmar, the Silmar. compound. Oh, right, Silmar. Right. Okay, so. So to, real quick, explain, Let's, if you can, explain the compound a little bit. What's the difference between regular juvenile hall? And I'm glad I, because I try to explain it, but I don't think it's come across. But that way people know that there's there's a little separation within the, the juvenile system. Well, juvenile, the, the Los Padrino system is, you know, basically all of the cases that are pretty much minor to what would be considered, you know, relevant enough for you to be tried as an adult. So you're an adult when you're in a compound. You're not a minor. Right. You're shackled up. Uh, everybody in there pretty much is in there for murder. Um, so that's the highest crime, I guess, the highest crime you can commit. Yeah. And that's where they place and house all of us at and separate us from people who are technically minors with like petty theft or purse snatching, you know, things of that nature. And then there's also a difference between juvenile hall and camp as well. Correct. Right? Um, and you happen to be, because of the crime, they put you into the compound. Um, was your thought ever like, fuck, I'm about to go in here with a bunch of rough kids or... You were more worried about your case and where you're going. Yeah, I was more so worried about me. I didn't really, I mean, living that lifestyle, I knew what I was doing. I wasn't, I'm not trying to be Billy Badass, but mm -hmm. I knew what I was capable of. So I wasn't really too much bothered by what I was going to meet when I got inside. I already knew how to handle it. It was more so the situation, the court situation at hand and how to handle it. The court system, the language, the terms, you know, the law, like the big stuff that I didn't uh, know or understand or wasn't taught. Those were like the big hurdles, right, not the other me, stuff. Nah. That's amazing that being 16, you're able to decipher what's really important as opposed to bullshit that's going on in there. You're worried about the fucking case. I'm right. trying to figure out what, what they're, this jargon they're throwing at right. me. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, so so you're, you're at Silmar Compound. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when does this movie dude or does it that's the way i envision it or how does this happen this music Scott director, Budnick, right? right it's got no, no 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 wasn't it who was it it was uh i don't know that's what yeah, we're gonna let's, find let's out get to that scott budnick hand selected everyone who was oh, a part of the program that's, that's where his role comes yeah, in that was his role but ben lear and gabriel were actually the film producers over that over the they call this monsters documentary so i met them after like maybe a week prior after scott had told us and he had hand selected us and gabriel and, and ben were cool I felt I felt I felt like they had good energy, so I was up for it. I was up for it, and then shortly after that, we started. Like the following week, we started filming. Okay, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, no. I was just gonna ask: Did they did they um, announce it to everybody at the compound, uh, or, or Scott just immediately knew who he wanted to to handpick? He knew right away. He knew right away. I got yeah. these guys. I got them in mind. Their right. names. I'm a fire off. Right. Okay. No one knew. It came fast. It didn't prep. Mm. We weren't prepped. We weren't yeah. uh, enlightened on what was going to be talked about or what even 
the whole core concept of what it was we were nice. doing. Nothing just came out of nowhere. Like, all right, cool, sign the paper, let's go. I'm curious to know where you were at, like right before even Scott saw you. Like, where were you at, like emotionally and like, no, like your situation? Like, how were you feeling? Where is it? Because I, you know, a lot of times, I, I mean, the way I've seen it, these a lot of kids are going into juvenile casting or people are they know they're about to get sentenced for adult sentences. Right. They start off their sentence more excited or more like energetic about what's going on and like what's taking place instead of already being like, fuck, I fucked up. Nothing like that. They're like, hell yeah, I got to get my shit ready. I got to be ready when I go into this adult system. All of this, a lot of energy is going through them. Mm -hmm. And I ask this because I didn't catch a lot of energy from you during the, during the, the movie. (laughs) I asked this, you're a very like serious dude, obviously because you had Jerry and that was like, Jerry was laughing a lot. Mm -hmm. The other, I feel like the other youngsters, the Spanish, they were already still like serious. They knew kind of what was going on. Right. But you seemed like you knew what was going on right off the bat. Right. So what was that like before they even came to you? Like, were you already kind of like griefing like or like what's the word grieving about like your time and what mm-hmm. your situation was yeah there was there was a lot of emotions at that time i was agitated frustrated um humbled i definitely was humbled it was a very fast maturing situation for me mm-hmm. so in that moment and like you said you you picked up that energy but i was reading and watching myself on screen i was upset throughout that whole time we were filming i was upset and i can't tell like i couldn't i couldn't recall how i was able to conceal my frustration uh, filming and the things we were filming about that I wasn't really interested in at that time because I was consumed by those thoughts. So, um, so what? I guess what led you to to say yes to the video then, or like to the film? Because it was Scott. I trusted Scott. Mm. I trusted Scott. Dealing with Scott a lot. I had known Gabriel and them, so I trusted that if you pointed me in this direction, they must be something of like you. If you're in, if they're in your circle, so I was okay with it. How did Scott pitch it to you? Like, was it like, yo, this is for like? Not for your game, but for the game of the outsiders, the viewers, like what we're trying to represent, like show. How they didn't. You... They didn't tell us at all. We had no idea. So what did Scott tell you when it came to you then? He asked me if I wanted to be on film and if I wanted to be a part of a documentary that he had some friends that were filming and producing. And I said, yeah, cool. I didn't even know it was going to be right then and there. I didn't know if it was in prison or yeah. I had no idea. So we signed a consent form. Uh, my father signed whatever he signed. And mm. then from there, we went on. With the, with the documentary. Wow, so now they start a week later. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't your first time meeting all of the, the other the other guys like Jared and them. You've seen no. them already. You're already. Were you somewhat comfortable with them at that time already? Yeah, we, we were all 18 at that time, so we were all housed in the same unit. Okay. We how how long were you busted when they approached you guys for that opportunity? Like 14 months. Okay. So you so that's that's where the the that's why we know now it was really the tail end of your right. That was already a long time fighting that case. Huh? Right. Yeah. So I mean, so when you went into it, I like the activity that you guys were doing. I said this in the Jared podcast yeah. too. The activity was really empowering because you're able to tell your story through film mm-hmm. or like through acting. Right. Mm-hmm. It was a little funny. There were some funny parts in it. You know, like there's there's funny parts, but I love the activity. What was that activity like for you? Because I feel like they didn't really touch too, touch too much on what your script was when you made it. Right. What was your script about? It's an alligator, man. <laughs> like, what was your script about? And the anaconda, yeah. And the anaconda. Um, honestly, like I said, I was my head was so wrapped around what was going on. I was there, but I wasn't mentally there. Mm. So I was already checked out when we were filming. Um, once we were told it was going to be a play and I felt like it was too cadot for me, I lost interest. So I was kind of just freestyling the whole thing. Mm. And I didn't know at that time we were going to get into what you were talking about as far as the life, what led up to it, and how we were feeling, what my thoughts were in that moment. That's what I wanted to talk about. So uh, me and 
the lack of patience I had for that film is why I wasn't able to continue the film. I asked to go to prison. I was already sentenced at that time. I was already 18. I was held due to Scott allowing us to be in that film. So they agreed to keep us there at that time for the remaining time of the film. And uh, the supervisor, Scott, they all came to the cell after I was done filming that the actual script that I was involved in with the Anaconda and the Alligator and all that, and I told him right then and there, I didn't want to be here. Send me to prison. Oh, wait, what? That's that's insane, right? That's yeah. something that you would never have guessed from the documentary. My assumption was you were just on the tail end of fighting your case and you had been sentenced and that was it. That Like, sure. they may have started it right when you were already going to catch the chain anyways. Mm-hmm. So I figured it was an abrupt stop. But you're saying uh, they gave you an opportunity to stick around, huh? Right. Right. But I get you. At that time, you're you're not in the right state of mind. That's not probably not even a concern of yours because you just got sentenced. You're worried about these years that you have to do. Um, ultimately, you got sentenced to how much? Time? Fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteen years. With eighty-five. Right. Did they count the years that you were right there? Those fourteen months that you were in there for, or no? Yes, I was able to receive two years credit. Okay. For sitting there that whole time. Is that where you find out that the? The county days, jails and nights don't count as double, you know? When they, Man, yeah. That's an the assumption. Two a day? Every, yeah. yeah, the two a day. Like, oh, I'm going to get two a day. Hell yeah. no. When you go oh, up there. Oh, they used to count that? Like, this like a double? That's a fo- is that, what would you call that? Folklore? folklore? Prison folklore? No, they, they do. It's certain crimes. Violent ah. crimes exclude you from being able to reap those benefits of two a days and things like that. Milestones. Oh, mm. So, mm. yeah, that didn't come till down the line when I was at the end of my bid already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what one experience I had, or a question I had too, what was it like seeing that your parents went part of this documentary? Like, what were your feelings towards that? Because you probably, you saw them speak. Right. They talked about your experience. What was that like for you hearing what they had to say? Seeing my dad, my dad always had this, this you know, hardcore persona as far as being a father, not crying, being strong, and, you know, trying to always lead by example on how to persevere through things. So seeing him with that emotion, and when he was reading my letter, I'm like, dad, why would you read that letter? Like, <laughs> you know, why did you do that? Uh he was touched by it and you know him going through what he was going through looking at having to lose his son for the remainder of his life right had affected him so it allowed me to see him in a different light as well but uh he expressed some emotions to me at that time you know and even for yourself the the stuff that he read from the letter one of the things that stood out to me is when you say um and i think it's huge and it's important and people need to understand what it really means when you do a crime and you're getting busted for this this amount of years right. you said i'm 18 and I'm in a cell with a 60-year-old man mm-hmm. or a 70-year-old man. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's prison for you. Right. Right? Like, there is no divide between anyone. Everyone committed a crime. Everyone's here. But just to think about that, you're getting a youngster fresh from juvenile hall, and you probably hadn't been around grown-ass men like that. And now you're thrown in there, and you told them, this is it. I'm in here with just a grown old man that looks like he's 30, and this is it. Right. This ain't nothing here. Yeah, realization, it was, huh? It was definitely a different experience. I mean, in the streets, you don't stay in the streets and you don't stay in the mix or the, the you know, the things that you're committing at that time, whatever it may be, you leave. So in prison, there's no leaving. So if you get into a fight, you're going to sleep right there. You wake up, you're going to fight again, you're going to sleep right there. So it was Crazy. that whole process for me. Like, well, I'm now shitting and sleeping where I'm shitting at. So having to adjust to that all over again was uh, definitely, it was challenging for me as a, as a teenager. So now you transitioned into that system. You already talked about, you know, the, the, cell, the cell experience, right? right. Um, where's some other stuff that you notice that you're like, whoa, like this is why I don't want to come back. I guess it could be like mental health-wise, um, loneliness. It could be mm-hmm. one thing, too. That's one thing that a lot of individuals talk about. Right. What were some of those experiences that you had? You're like, damn, I really... Because you already knew right off the bat. 
I don't want to come back ever again. Right. Like you already knew, but what were some additional things like, wow, that just caught your eye? Like, no. My second day there, I witnessed a stabbing. And again, violence, that was already normal, but in that controlled environment where it's like, if I react, I get punished and I go to the hole. If I don't react, there's politics. If I don't react, my life is at risk. So all these dip things that made you think in the streets, you didn't think it was impulse. You looked at me wrong, you said the wrong thing, or you took me for a joke, so that's how we gonna respond to it. And here it was like, no, hold up. You can't just move and make decisions on your own because they don't only affect you. So when I witnessed that stabbing, I was like, damn. Everybody told us to get down. They came pepper sprayed. It was a big old deal. It was a new experience for me. Uh, we was locked down for two days, and they brought us right back up. So I'm like, damn, dude, just mm, I don't right. have no weapon. I don't know how to, like, I'm like, what's going on? How do I react to this situation yeah. other than what I'm used to responding to, you know, scenarios like that in out on the streets? So in the process of that, people start falling off. The girls I was talking to, that was new to them, and, you know, them wanting to continue their career and pursue their dreams, me being in prison, conflicted with that. Um, so I started losing friends. My baby mom at that time was already gone. So I was pretty much by myself. And that's, again, when I started realizing that my life took a turn for the worse. And were you still talking to, to mom and pop too a lot or no? Yes, I was still talking to both of my parents heavily at that time. Visits were still happening too? Chino, it was uh, no contact. So I didn't want them driving all the way to come see me behind the glass. So I declined on the visits at that time until I got to prison where I could actually touch and hold them. Mm. That's still an important factor, though. The fact that just because, like, you would think I want to be able to see them. Like, okay, I'm just thinking out, like, I'm just thinking right now, but I would think I'd want to be able to see my family. But the fact that you don't even want them to see you like that, you right. want to be able to touch, like, that's the most, like, right. that's real family that you want to give a hug because you love and you appreciate so much and you hurt them so much. Right. But that's what you're fighting for at the end of the day now. Exactly. For not only yourself, but for family, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it also shows selflessness, yeah. right? Instead of having them waste all those resources for that, right. knowing that you've probably had those type of visits, why not wait till you get somewhere where you can get a um, cross the seat from the table and make right. it, you know, just the whole experience. Right. Daughters, you were still thinking about your daughter at this time too. Of course, so, of course. Were you like writing any letters or anything like that? Like, what was that like for you? Every week I write her a letter, every yeah, week. Really? I felt like it was over. Honestly, I thought uh, I was going to die in prison, whether it be through the time or... Some, this was before the 50-50 S&Y special needs thing and all that, so it was active. Everywhere you went, whether you were active or not, it was active. So I'm like, damn, there's a high possibility. Again, the chances increase. Mm -hmm. The situation is now more high risk because, you know, you go home, like I said, after you're done doing what you're, what you're doing in the streets, if you survive through whatever the activity was. So in here, I'm here all day, and I'm always subject to some form of violence, whether it be through the correctional officers or whether through prisoners. Mm -hmm. So I would write her letters and tell her things like, you know, that I would tell her if I was 32, and she were 19. Or if you were 16, dealing with boy trouble, this is what, you know, or go to Tokyo, go to school here. Go. I would break all that down to her in prison. As I was educating myself, I was educating my kid, explaining myself in case I didn't get to talk to you about the decisions I made or how it affected me or what type of father I wanted to be. So I would take the time to write eight page letters or better until I got my point across and send them to my little girl. Were you getting responses from that kind of, those kind of letters too? Her mother would write back. I would write her, her mom and I would correspond. She would read them to her, even though she, you know, she was still a baby. So right. yeah. she had created this box and she would put all the letters in this box. So when she became of age, she would then hand them over to my daughter. That's fire. Yeah. That's fire. Really powerful, too. Um, well, you know, something that just popped into my head was uh, during the time, right, where, they, where you go to reception, did anybody try to um, tell you, like, bro, you're tripping? Do the documentary, stay here a little bit longer? No, it was over. Once I got to reception, I was a wrap. 
No, but I'm saying uh, right before, like uh, when you said, you know what, I'm cool. Just send me upstate, and no one tried to like, nah, like, nope. Come on, D, you ain't just give it a second. You you got you got some time to go upstate, nah. Nah, I was it probably Sanders at the time was the supervisor, so he spoke to us on a daily basis. So he pretty much knew my character. When I told him I was done, I didn't want to do it. It wasn't like the kid said he didn't want to do it. He didn't have to talk about. I'm gonna send you. I got to eat my last one little good juvenile hall meal, and I was on my way. Like 72 hours later. Shit, that was fast. That means they were waiting for you yeah. to pass the damn train, huh? Definitely. Where'd you Where'd you say you land for uh, reception? Chino. Chino, and then yeah. you. Well, what's the first prison that you landed? Ironwood. Ironwood, oh, which no is uh, a pretty good prison right. as far as even at that time. Right. Um, having program, having maybe the beginning of programs at that at that time. This right. might have been what 09, 010, t- 2010, 11? 2013. 2013. Right. So they had programs there. It was a proactive yard. They had a bunch of good stuff going on at that point or no? <laughs> they had programs. They sold the whole dream about it, you know, being a college yard. And I thought I was going to go to a yard where I was around people like me who wanted to make a difference. That's how mm-hmm. I picture right. it, yeah. When I got there, that was not the case. Really? It was not the case. Why? Like, when did you find that out? <laughs> Immediately. As soon as you hit the yard, the tension, you know, the structure, mm-hmm. the segregation, everything came in all at once, and that's when I realized, like, well, it's, it was ran, it's a level three yard, but it was ran like a level four prison. So, again, that, that energy that was there was felt, and I was receptive to it, so I knew at that time what time it was. Wait, so the energy you talk about, is that the energy, like, the the prison itself, or the people that are inside the prison with you, like, those incarcerated? That's the energy you're feeling? Both, yeah. The oh, prison I think itself. it's the prisoners right. that make the culture in there. Yeah. So depending on where you're at, if everyone's like-minded and it's for the negative, it's going to be a negative scenario, right. right? But if you got people that are progressive and they want dudes to go to school, especially some, they may, you know, if you're young, they'll tell you, you got to go to school if you're young. Right. If you don't have a high school diploma, you're going to get your ass to school. Mandatory. You know, and those those kind of tend to be where you blossom a little bit more. Yeah. You get the more self-help, you, you better yourself. It's wild because our experience is when people talk about Ironwood, not only Jared, but other people that we've had on, our, on the podcast, people, yeah. It's just more like great positive things like, oh, yeah, the program there is great. Everybody's always looking out for each other, making sure that you do better. Like if you don't go to programming, you're fucking up. That's considered you fucking up if you're not doing if you're not doing a class or this and that. Um, but it's, it's interesting here that your experience was different. How long were you at Ironwood? Like your whole. No, I only stayed there 18 months. OK, stayed there 18 months. And then from there you went to Wasco. Mm. How'd that happen? Did you was that a transfer? Your points dropped or something? I was there for the college program. So since I wasn't, at that time, like I said, there was so much going on in that yard, I wasn't able to focus on school. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do school and do violence at the same time. It just didn't mix for me. So um, Was it like a riot type stuff? Constantly. Okay, and that's an, always an issue that's outside of your, your control. Uh, control. Right. Right. So, um, damn, so you didn't get to do the school stuff, huh? No, I was Eight, not. 18 months in, what was it? Just slammed down, in and out? Yeah, you, you were locked down. Like I said, they ran it like a level four, so... You were in your cell probably like 21 hours. If you didn't have any groups, if it wasn't yard, groups, or a visit, or medical, you were in your cell. And if you were smart and you did have the opportunity to be out, you were in your cell because you were subjected to something happening and you getting caught up and having to write a letter explaining why I caught more time or someone mm-hmm. calling your parents telling them, hey, he's been airlifted because he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. So it was a constant stressor. I couldn't worry about calculus, algebra, geometry, and I got to go get some water and I got to worry about dude missing a broom, and that would be an issue with me and my people as a whole because you're missing a broom. So it just, it was conflicting for me. It's fucking crazy you put it like that. A yeah. broom, bro. Yeah. It's just as simple as a broom. Right. 
Like the shit we don't take, we take advantage of. We don't take advantage of now. Room, like, you know what I mean? But a bucket, even. A yeah, bucket, yeah, the, yeah, the laundry bucket. Yeah, <laughs> the laundry bucket. <laughs> yeah. God, what? Um, I low key, I even get mad when I, when I'm in the garage and I see my shit's gone. I get pissed off. I'm like, yo, my sister really used to put my their clothes in there and took that shit with them to their room. Yeah. Um. So now you went to where you say uh to Wasco. Wasco. Mm -hmm. Now you now this is I'm assuming it's a different transition for you. It looks a little different for sure from Iowa. And still a three yard. Yes, still love so three. So a little more access than a four, but depending, like you said, the culture, it could mm -hmm. be not very much access to to programs that you may want to take. Some of them it may, right? right? How was Wasco's programming at that time? When I got there, Wasco was it was smooth. It was uh, okay. well racially balanced. Or excuse me, ethnically balanced. Mm -hmm. um, so it was you know equal portions of blacks, equal portions of Hispanics. Programs um, at that time, like I said, this was before the fifty fifty and all that. So the yard had a lot going on. I mean, there's a lot going on in New York. People tend to try to keep the peace. People want to talk to baby girl, want to talk to your kids, some run businesses or do whatever they're doing to keep things going for them. So it was less violent. And that's when I discovered, okay, well, there's, you know, give or take, there's pros and cons of both. So there's no violence. Inmates or prisoners are cool. And you got to worry about the people who run the prison, the correctional officers. So what type of corrupt, corrupt activity are they running? And then how are we going to respond to it? So it shifts. You get the rocky prison, cool police, or soft prison, and then high rise with the corruption. That makes sense, yeah. man. It's a tough one. Think of right, like, yeah, that's the trade off there. Right. You know, if you get somewhere where you want to program, the cops know that you want to do good things, so right. they're gonna fuck with you a little more. Right. They may or may not. That's that's not always the case, right? Sometimes you get some that are like, do it, man. Right. I'm with you. Um, or you go where it's rocking and rolling, and cops are just used to seeing crazy shit, and they're like, I ain't even gonna right get involved. Exactly. Know? Um. Did did uh so so what were your your you already advanced in the thinking as far as like I'm a crash out because I need to I need to get my name on the map you were past that right. you were you were so you were already thinking about things to better yourself going home or how fucked up the situation is meaning right. don't make it any worse right um what were some thoughts or ideas that you had at that moment to help you do your time so by the time I got to Wasco when I was you know alleviated from the pressure of being in that environment. That's when I started realizing, okay, you know what? I didn't get a chance to read the books I was in interested in. I didn't get a chance to learn what I wanted to learn. So I stopped watching Jerry Springer, stopped watching Seinfeld, stopped watching all that stuff that wasn't helping me retain or better my situation. So uh, I started picking up books, LLC books, um, aquaponic agriculture books, and started reading books that would help better me. And that's when I discovered, okay, you know what? People always told me I have potential, but it's like I couldn't see what you're seeing inside looking out. So once I start reading things and then I start getting to know myself with, you know, academics and things of that nature, I start taking an interest in reading more books. And then I discover ways to create a plan if I was given an opportunity to make a change, if they gave me an opportunity to get out and make a change. I wanted to be prepared for that opportunity had it presented itself, since I didn't have to go to board. Mm. Yeah. Did you have a high school diploma, though, at this time? Because I'm assuming you didn't finish high school since you went at, like, 16, right? Right. Did you get your high school diploma? Through Barry J. Nardoff at uh, Silmore, yeah, I was able to obtain... High school diploma. Oh, so you got so it young before, right, huh? okay. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So now you're reading these books. I'm sure there's a lot of emotion, like with goals that are coming through your head, like as you read, right? Mm -hmm. What kind of stuff were you already thinking uh, thinking about right off the bat after reading some of those books? All the things I could have did rather than trying to make a name for myself, had I understand the the importance or had it been shown to me what it looked like to look like me, be like me, and to be standing in a better position than where I was placing myself. Um felt like it was backwards it was in reverse so what I was doing there was kind of what I should have been doing prior to but due to the fact that 
I was incompetent and unaware of those things. I was now feeling like I had discovered the gold and it was far too late. Like it didn't, it didn't, it, it could have amounted to much had I been able to have an outlet to get it out. But had I been placed somewhere where I can, like I said, for the school at Ironwood, if I was able to actually go to school, get a college degree, and then start earning other things, and I would have been able to make use of it rather than sitting at Wasco where it wasn't much programs and it wasn't much for me to do or kind of showcase the things I learned and gained. It was just all self-taught. It was self-value as I was gaining that knowledge. I think that that's um, it builds so much of, of uh, your character, who you are, when you take it upon yourself to do these things. You know, mm -hmm. you adhere to your schedule. You mm -hmm. said, I want, I'm going to read this book on democracy at eight when I right. get back, meaning nobody, no oversight, nobody's telling me to do it. Right. That's something that I am going to do. It's my program. Um, it builds the hell out of that character, you mm -hmm. know? Um, at this point, did you happen by chance to see anybody you were in the documentary with? I ran into Jared when we were at Ironwood. Oh, you did yeah. run into Jared while you guys were up there, huh? Yeah. How, how was that interaction? Was it, Now that things are different, you mm -hmm. guys are upstate, you, you were right, what was the whole... I mean, as we call it, I've been off the porch early. A part of like my soul and it coming from wherever else, wherever I brought it from or inherited it from, people always told me I had an old soul. So when it came to, like I said, portraying to be something I wasn't, that was never really my character. And I learned through that, knowing myself, this is why I didn't get along with a lot of people. Being too authentic where you're taught to fake it till you make it, I didn't agree with that. So I was myself. And in juvenile hall, a lot of people weren't. They were kind of like in that mindset where I'm going to the big house, so I need to prepare. I need to be tough. The things I didn't do on the streets, mm -hmm. let me try to do them here so I'll be accustomed to it when I get there. Where it's me, I'm like, that's submissive, man. Like, I'm already about that. I need to figure this out. So mm -hmm. going to prison and then seeing people who weren't in that mature mind state, they were humble. And they were there was different characters than what you were shown in Juvenile Hall or prior to what I know. So when I seen Jared, he was uh, a lot more calmer. He was more so, you know, open to bettering his life and educating himself on how to get out. Whereas me, I was already there. So it was like we were now able to connect on a different level mm. because we were on the same page at that time. Uh, real quick, I, and I'm sorry to kind of backtrack. Were you getting any kind of love from the documentary, like when it was released? Randomly, yeah. I started getting all types of fan mail about, you know, my whereabouts and how people wanted to know what happened to me or why I didn't continue, things of that nature. Or their thoughts, their kids, they watched mm. it. And, you know, people from Canada would tell me, like, I'm happy, uh, that my kid didn't grow up in LA, or I'm happy that my kids were from. It's a tragedy what happened to you guys, but through you, I was able to gain some type of insight and, and comfort knowing that my kid has it better, or I'm where I'm at as a parent and raising my children. So, oh shit, so that, that's fucking nuts. And, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, Jerry said it, they dropped like two years later, or a year and a half later, or something like that. No, the documentary. So like you didn't really know immediately, right? It was uh, all of a sudden where you people were like, documentary, documentary, documentary? Right, right. What, how many years in did you have at that point? Um, did you down here forget about the documentary? I did, I did. <laughs> yeah. Once I was done with it, I didn't even know I was still going to be continued uh, mm -hmm. or added on into the, oh, to the right. film. So um, staff would come and, hey, you that kid that was in that documentary? I'm like, documentary, what are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah, he's that kid. I'm like, I had no idea. So I started calling home. And friends from high school were watching it, just like the old America's That's Most Wanted insane. thing. So I was hearing it through them people. And then uh, my father actually were, was in contact with Gabriel and Ben. I hadn't known because I wasn't calling my dad at that time because I was more so focused on how to, you know, get through my time. Mm -hmm. But um, he had the film. He had recorded it. And when I did catch up with my father, I was able to be enlightened and brought up to speed on what it looked like through him. What do you say? This documentary is everywhere, bro. People are loving it. It's everyone's watched it. It's it's doing its numbers. It's making people 
um, feel these like poignant feelings, right. you know, because it was it was deep, right? You know? Um, yeah, I just trip out on that. Like, I'm assuming it had to have been like night and day, where just one day you wake up and everyone's like, "Hey, you're the dude from the documentary," right? I'm getting this vibe, and I and I want to ask because it's the vibe I'm getting, and I don't want to hold it back. Like, are you happy you did the documentary, or you the documentary? Or are you more like I should have not done it from the start? I'm I'm happy that I got to experience what I got to experience. I'm not happy that I was impatient and I moved fast. Although I learned a lesson from that moving ahead of my time, um, I do feel like the thing that I would be upset about is not being able to to take it on the journey. I felt we should have been allowed to take it on to kind of get more, you know, of the raw and uncut things conveyed to the public, so people wouldn't be caught up in the situation I was in. I'm in this cave. I'm in this evil cocoon. I want to bring awareness so no one else comes to visit. I wasn't, you know, big on the whole misery loves company thing. No, you stay out there and let me, if I got to be the sacrifice, I don't want nobody else like me to be caught up in this situation. So um, I was ultimately grateful for it, but I felt like it could have been better. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I just want to ask, because I mean, you, you're you on different like level, mm -hmm. like even now talking about it, you're on a different level. Um, so now let's go back to your to you uh, doing your time. You, did you start doing any kind of like uh, groups or anything like that during when you were incarcerated? Like any, you know, anger management groups or anything like that to better yourself? Uh, yes, I enrolled in every self-help group that they had available. AVP, anger management, criminal gangs anonymous. Mm. Anything that would have got me a week or two or a month off my sentence, I was taking it. What were those experiences like? I mean, at that time, I don't know what happened to those individuals, but there were some pretty uh, critical thinkers. So I was learning, and they were learning. We were learning from each other, and we would have this cold think tank when we had those groups. So there was a lot of knowledge and a lot of things that were shared in there. I was able to learn from the different cultures, uh, backgrounds, and things like that that I felt played a good role. And ultimately, the supervisors that sat in there as well, the, the sponsors, they were, you know, uh, amazed by the things that were being discussed in those groups. Did you have like a mentor that you looked up to, like at any point that kind of kept you in your in your lane? I had like-minded people. We carried each other, but no mentors. I mean, my father pretty much was always my mentor. Mm -hmm. And outside of my father, I would listen to my music. That was pretty much where I found myself in the form of like, okay, I agree with that. You wrote that line. You just now wrote that line. I had already been thinking that two years prior. So keep going this way. This, you know, letting me know I was heading in the right direction. But I pretty much, because being in my own lane, I had to figure it out. I had no one else to turn to or look to because I was always so different in a sense of being in that moment, but being understanding of what it meant to be in that moment and extracting what was to be extracted from that moment. What kind of music were you getting into? Uh, I took a liking to heavy metal in prison. No I actually way. took a liking to heavy metal. Yeah. That's nuts, really. I did. Oh, it was therapeutic. Man. It was therapeutic listening to that. In that environment, it, certain things, when I listened to the, to the lyrics and what they were saying, it was actually talking about the government and politics and things of that nature. So I liked it. But when it came time to write a letter or you know, something and I was challenged with, I would always resort to like hip hop. Oh shit, I thought you were gonna say something like Beethoven or like nah, Taylor Swift or something. Nah. But like, nah. Rock, why not? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a trip and it, and that's one of the, the pluses out of that place, right? I tell people, if you're gonna be there, you might as well learn something. Right. The culture, um, you even run into um, natives, you know, right. real Native Americans that tell their stories and you hear them out and you're like, live on a reservation. When you hear alcoholism, it's a real thing on reservations. You're all these dudes' stories, substance abuse. So different walks of life, even Asian folks. Right. Even if even if you may not interact with them out here and there, you're gonna be exposed to that. Right. You know, Islander culture. You're gonna you're gonna know these things. Um after Wasco, where'd you end up going and and, and uh where did you did you feel after Wasco you were at 
in your growth were you where you wanted to be what was that like when it came when, when so when i was sentenced i was already ready when it came time to be you know rid of the whole criminal thinking and going back to that lifestyle i was already done with that mm -hmm. but when i was able to give back as far as coming back with what i learned and making a difference mm -hmm. i want to say that was probably like my third year at wasco so at that time i have been incarcerated going on like six years or seven years um i already felt like a fish that grew too big for the tank i was in mm. and being contained in there was building up more agitation because there was nothing more to offer everything i was doing was kind of just like you know adding to where there didn't need to be added anymore it was time to apply so i left wasco went from wasco to fire camp and was not satisfied with that i'm climbing these mountains and you know busting my knees and hurting my back carrying this 40 pound backpack but i got all this knowledge up here that i can't apply on this mountain so again i found myself met with the same thing being in fire camp being where i didn't need it i didn't need to be in fire camp i needed to be somewhere where i can give back and make a difference for people so fire camp that's nuts that you you seen it that way and i'm glad you did because that's the reality of it right you're, you're putting all this physical force and stuff into into that but then again, you you gotta your, your concern was more sharpening who you were, your right. person, building, right. um, building who you are. But uh, you know, it's it's because most people want to hit fire camp. That's like the end goal for them. You know, mm -hmm. I want to get fire camp and hit Snicker bars and right. steak and and whatnot. You know, right? Um, how much time do you do in, in fire camp? Ninety days. That's it, huh? Ninety, 90 days. days. That's it. You learned how to cut line and all that. Cut line, puller. I was a McLeod. Uh, I handled the chainsaw from time to time. Okay. Yeah, running back, running back, doing it all. Huh? <laughs> running back, doing it all. You talked about um, so now you're talking about fire camp, which is interesting. You only did ninety days. It sounds like you're like claustrophobic at the same time. Like you feel like you're claustrophobic and being in these cells, and you just really want to put your mind to something that will benefit, right? Right. The way you explained it. So where did you go after fire camp? After fire camp, I went back to a level three yard. I went to CMC. Did that feel a little like uh like going from there? Because I feel like you had a little bit of more like openness or like freedom in like in, from fire camp going into there right were you kind of like fuck maybe i should have stayed at fire camp uh yeah i mean although i didn't want to be in fire camp i didn't want to be in a cell but i looked at it as a lesson and i capitalized off my mistake mm. so i knew either way camping I, I, roughly i got nine months left so what is the lesson right here that i need to learn from my actions and what brought me back right here so the mindset i was in when i left i was still on that three-yard mindset i had that mentality still so that's what got me caught up um, but knowing I was going to go home, that gave me an opportunity sitting in CMC single cell by myself, allowing me to start rationalizing my actions and my future. Like, all right, look, you're about to go home. So cut this out, not being institutionalized, but being more so aware, like being in that moment. Like I said, I was still in that moment, being in that in that setting for so long, it blanketed me. So I had to get that off. And that gave me the time to transition out of that mentality prior to coming home so I could be prepared. I wasn't prepared at camp. It was, again, right back to work. So I didn't have time to think. I didn't have time to. You, for you, me. you mean wait, wait, once you experienced camp, you you took advantage of the freedom and like did the little the jail shit, basically or no? I took advantage of the program and learning what I learned okay. as far as Cal Fire, but I didn't want to be at camp. I wanted to go to MCRP where I was able to go to school. That was my main. I felt like I should have been in the classroom mm -hmm. setting. And to answer your question regarding the sports, I thought about sports, but most athletes don't have no voice. And then, and then again, with the voice, what are you really telling people? What are you really teaching people? So allow me now to make more use of myself rather than performing on stage and entertaining people. I think we can get further as a community and as people if I'm able to actually to offer you something that you can learn from other than amusing you or providing entertainment. Right. I don't want to be an entertainer. So.
Fuck, man, you're mature. Like, to think yeah, that way? Yeah, God, definitely. <laughs> Most of the time, we get to this point at people's end of their story. But right. you had this. You've stuck with it from mm. the beginning because that was your reality. And I tell people, too, my, my experience as well, even though I think if I would have done less than two, I would have been back to the same thing. But I knew immediately, and it's rare. I don't know if... I'm glad it's not an isolated incident that... uh I knew off rip. I'm like, if they let me out, I will never come back to this place. Right. Like, I know it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Um, and it's crazy that, that that resonated with you as well. You knew from day one, this is not me. I'm going to get this shit right. And maybe because you really came from it. Right. You know, you really exactly. participated and exactly. you didn't have no need to put on a front or to try to make put a smile on somebody else's face. Right. You were worried about yourself. And that's what a lot of the times we need to do. Mm -hmm. Right. We need to... Um, fix ourselves before we can start doing anything else. Right. Um, yeah, that's nuts. So you had, how, how many years in at this point, the CMC? Because you're saying you're already going home, but you did 11 total off 11. of 15? Yeah, 11. So at CMC is when I hit that 11-year mark. Damn, that's yeah. that's nuts. So you, four or five different prisons? Yeah. In total, when it was all said and done. Four or five. So you already knew the time you were coming out. Was there like a parole hearing or anything like that? No, thankfully. Well, you know what? There was MCRP. That's that's what got me out early. Um, they actually tried to take that from me. So I had to educate myself going to that committee board so I can advocate for myself and not be manipulated out of that position because I needed it. And that's what I wanted. And mm -hmm. I again, like I said, through the past mistakes I made, I didn't want to go in there unprepared and I allowed the same thing to reoccur. So I took the time, read the Title 15, read the 2234 form, and watch CNN, learn the lingo, learn the demeanor. I learned everything from watching CNN, not Jerry Springer, and nothing I was going to learn anything from. So when I went before that committee board, I was able to sit in that panel and fight for myself like an attorney. What kind of questions were they asking? Yeah. Um, well, it was more so about the, the case, the crime, the activities in prison, 115s, or, you know, your behavior, and overall, like, keeping job security for them. You keep me inside, you keep a job. You let me go. I actually think this one isn't going to come back, so do we really want to let them go? Mm. You know, and it was more so me trying to use, not use their own policy against them, but put them in a corner to where you couldn't, you know, just tell me you don't like me, and if you don't want me to go, tell me what it is. Tell me yeah. you want to keep me enslaved in there. I can go back to my cell and accept it, but trying to manipulate me or talk down to me as if I'm unaware, I wasn't finna accept. I love that, man. Like, you basically put yourself in a position where they can't fool you. Right. You know, you're, I'm going to talk your talk. And let's go ahead and get this out the way. However, right. however way we the outcome, you know, either you're you're whatever you learn, whatever you have, and whatever I learn, if, right? If, you know, let's, let's go ahead. Yeah. yeah, man, that that's huge. That's huge to be that stage at your prison sentence and already, again, really using the tools that you were able to accumulate during your whole time. Right. Um, you're you're you getting released didn't happen like normal like uh the some of the past not normal some of the past stories which is the parole the all that mm -hmm. um you. Had 15 with 85, so you had a ballpark of when you were going to get out, maybe right. 12 years, right? Right. How'd you, um, how'd you know when you were going to get out? Because of all the groups, how'd you accumulate all that? And, and uh... So through Prop 57, once they uh, implemented the milestones for us, I was able to start calculating my time mm. and look at what time frame I would be eligible for fire camp. That would cut my time down to like a year, I think, because at that time I had two years left, so 50% is what I would have gone down to being a violent offender. You're only able to go down to fifty percent, so I knew if I Even got now, huh? right, correct, only fifty percent though. That's a so that's a hefty cut. I take yeah, yes. heck yeah. So uh, once I got to camp and I got that cut, then I knew it would it would be soon after I got that cut that I'd be out of there. 
Did you start calculating like your your high school diploma milestones, your college courses, all that? I didn't get credit for that. I got that in juvenile hall, so I didn't get that. I missed it. You didn't do a coastline college or anything like that? No, me and college and prison just wasn't going to work. Really? No. Okay. Or the bottle of Jervis. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's but see that's another thing that I wanted to address. Being in prison, you had mm-hmm. me sit there that whole time. So that whole time I could have came out learning French. I could have came out learning Spanish. We got a plastic pandemic. I could have been solving that problem. Still smart enough to take it upon myself not to be on the yard with the Crips, not to be politicking, not to be doing push-ups in the day room. I'm in a cell reading and studying. I found like-minded cellies so we can be on the same page and you know each one teach one kind of thing. And through that is where I discovered the LLCs. But I start realizing like, wait a minute. This really is suppression right here. I'm, I'm suppressed. You want me to be depressed? And it's ultimately holding me back the more I discover this, holding you back, the future generation back. Because now I'm coming home with this knowledge, but I'm still set back because now I have resources only later then that I needed at that time that would have made a difference when I was released. Right. So. I agree. I agree. Like I said, my philosophy is like give somebody a, a you want them to become an expert, give somebody in jail, a, a, in prison, doing a big sentence, give them the book. They'll fucking memorize it forwards and back and then hopefully do some some you know critical thinking. Right. And they'll come up with a crazy answer that you probably never would have thought of because that's all you have time is to learn and really if you use it for that, you know. Right. Um damn, so that that's deep. That's deep. You you ended up uh so you did eleven with some change. How did where'd you parole from? How did uh that day take place? Uh left February twenty second of two thousand and twenty three from CMC. Um that's a, a 2023? Yeah. This year. This year. A couple months ago, <laughs> yeah. huh? After 15. Yeah, after. Yeah. 11. Man, that's nuts. It still it still didn't hit me. This sergeant came. He asked me my name. He asked me where I was paroling to. And I'm like, paroling? He like, man, do I got the right dude? I got the right cell? Like, I was in a holding cell. And he like, man, I'm finna send you back to the yard. I thought I had the wrong dude. I'm asking you again, where are you paroling to? I'm still processing because I still have my mindset on the long haul. So I'm like. Man, they really giving it to me. I'm getting all the way to the door. Like, man, they gonna change their mind. They gonna find some way to hinder my my success. So, they pulled up the van and, and cuffed me up. And I'm like, wow, okay, they really finna transport me up out of here. So, so you didn't really know. Oh, right. my fault. Oh, go no. ahead. Yeah, that you didn't really know the no. exact date. No. Okay. It was a waiting process, a long waiting process. Did you get a chance to give anything away or, or get all that stuff situated? Like, what's going where? The moment I found out, I had downsides. I gave everything away. Once I found out, yeah. You knew where you were going from there, though, or your, it was still a surprise for you? It was that? a better place than where I was at, so I didn't care. I wasn't mm. taking me wherever it is. It's outside of here. I was more than willing. So the MCRP thing didn't get worked out. You still didn't know if they had approved your MCRP? Yeah, it was still a waiting process. You could Some people had to reapply. Um, some, some people's files, quote-unquote, got lost. Mm. So it was still kind of in the air. It wasn't a certain thing. I get you. Okay, so that's where you saying like, when they ask you where are you paroling to, you're like, it's me. I don't yeah. know. I didn't even know <laughs> I was a. Yeah. That's amazing. So they granted you your your MCRP and you ended up coming home, mm-hmm. even though it's not home, but it's technically you know you're, right. you're in the stream. Like you said, it's better than being in there. Right. Um, man. So tell us a little bit about that, man. Your first days, eleven in, you out, you 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 know you've been doing some things. Right. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, strangely, man, when I, when I stepped out, I remember, you know, in between times being incarcerated as a teenager, I would come out and the world would be different. They painted this house, this girl moved on the block, this parent, this family doesn't live here no more. So you see all of that stuff. Uh, in prison, like I said, I started transitioning in my mind. I never was incarcerated mentally. 
So only physically I was incarcerated. So when I came home, everything, for the most part, how I anticipated it to be is pretty much what it was besides, you know, mental health and, and the homeless crisis we got going on right now. But other than that, it wasn't like, ooh, ah, and that was a shock to me. Um, I felt like I was well prepared or over overly prepared, if, if safe to say. So um, I just came home again, tunnel vision. All right, now I'm here. Let me do this. Can I go to school? Can I work? Can I start like, yeah, you know, Flash from The Incredibles? Let's let's yes. go. I'm ready now. You gave me an opportunity. Give me the give me the baton and let me go. I was ready. I love it. It's better than being stagnant. That's for sure. You Man, know what I mean? most definitely. So now, like, what are your, like what were your technically what we're talking about is now, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about now. So what mm-hmm. goals do you have going on now that you want to accomplish? I mean, you've made you've already made little increment, uh, little milestones. You, know? mm-hmm. you got your ID, you got your social, you phased up, right? Um, you did your thing. So like, what are your next steps now, uh, for yourself? Right now, I'm currently enrolled in school for my business degree, business administration. Nice. Um, so I would like to start my own business, form my own LLC again, help yeah. with the pandemic, the the plastic pandemic, farm organic fish and start distributing them to major companies. So aquaponic agriculture is what that revolves around. And uh, education, being sent to prison so young, needing education and not needing prison, potentially things that would make matters worse and not really aid to help in the situation. I felt like at least starting in L.A. County, where I'm from, being able to sit down at the time with Betsy DeVoe, she's no longer the secretary of education. So now it's Miguel Cardona, if I got his name correct, last name correct. So some way, somehow, trying to figure out how to get the metric system built up, showcase you know, the change in education and the change in whatever program down the line I'd be able to imp- implement and speaking to him and making a drastic change in L.A. County as a whole on what's being taught in school. So, like, for example, we call black people Africans, but ultimately the original name of Africa is Akibula. I didn't know that until I went to prison. Egypt is in Africa. I didn't know that until I went to prison. So there's all this other stuff that I was interested in that was important that I didn't discover until I was in prison. So had, we had the opportunity to say, hey, you know what? Look, I want to go to that class over there. They're doing ceramics. I want to go over here. They're doing music. Or I want to go, whatever. Allow us to really invest into the future and give people more opportunity to educate themselves and then the community benefiting from it all as a whole, opposed to sending me to prison and making someone else's pockets fat. So that's more so my goal now. Cutting back on prison, prison reform, increasing that, decreasing the numbers and population in prison and bringing more awareness about the mission the mission has been being neglected this whole time. That's huge. Tight. That's huge. Uh, yeah. You're doing more than just like mentoring, but you really want to be able to give back too. Not right. to the people, just to the people, but to the world too. Shit. Right. Exactly. The environment. Exactly. Two birds, one stone, man. That part. Two birds, one stone. So um, with that too, I'm curious to know like, uh, so uh, real quick, have you heard of D5 Ventures? No. Okay, so we just so we definitely yeah we got a connect we got a you. connection for you. Um, so for y'all, if y'all watching this, y'all have already seen it drop a while ago. Uh, our boy Quan. So what he does is they help people who are currently incarcerated with uh, teaching them entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. and when they come out, or they even do like a, a Shark Tank pitch to like big investors. So let's say your big idea, they love it, it qualifies, they nominate you, then you get to be in front of a group of people who will be able to invest in your in your in your uh, business. Okay. Um, so with a mentor from you. that industry, exactly. As well. yeah, I'm open for that. That's uh, cool. Yeah. So I'm gonna appreciate you with that. that. That's tight. Um, but it, see, the thing is, like, it's because you have this vision. You mm-hmm. have, like, you're passionate about yes. it. Mm-hmm. And that's what people need to find. Mm-hmm. Like, I, to be honest, who knows? Like, I, I think I found my passion. I found my passion now. But you never know once you come, you go down the road. Um, but at least have some kind of goals to reach, right? At least have something so you don't set yourself back and just start losing yourself. Right. That's what I would say. 
Um, so with that too, uh, you you know you're doing that. What about family wise, like your daughter and stuff? That's like what that. popped into my head. It's yeah, like, have you been able to get that relationship going? Get back going. People don't know it takes a little while right. to, get, to get it going. You know. Uh, um. Well, I haven't. I want to. I want to gather the family together. And again, it starts there. It starts with the family. So bringing everybody back together, whatever ties were severed while I was gone. Mm -hmm. I lost my father before I came home. He was actually murdered in 2017. Oh my God, so I'm sorry. I haven't that, even bro. been to his gravesite. No yeah. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some work. There's a lot of work that needs to be done there with them and, and bringing us back together and kind of implementing the same mission, but allowing them to get involved with it as well so everybody can play their part and kind of lead them you know, to a high rise opposed to keeping things plateaued. and them being set back. I feel I feel like if I'm able to give back to them, I should be able to give back to home as well and make change there. So mm -hmm. it'll start at home. I'm sorry to hear that about your dad, brother. Like, that's really tough because I know, like, the way you describe it too through the documentary, like, you guys made that, you made that connection. You said you guys ended up, do, like, right. talking about that kind of stuff. Right. Were you, I guess, it, it, it sucks because at that time you were still, in, you were in Carson car, so you weren't going through an MSRP. No. Or MSRP, what the MCRP. heck? MCRP. <laughs> oh, you're buying a car, yeah. bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but you weren't there. What was that like knowing that you couldn't participate fully on the funeral? Because you probably would participate to an extent, right? Right. Um, but what was that like for your for you, that experience? Man, I mean, atrocious isn't even a term to use, to be honest. Me and my pops was, like, close. So when that happened, I did, in that moment of it happening, relapsed. I mean, the only thing I wanted to do, I mean, that's my father. And it was somebody who was dear to me who played a role in me getting back home. So by nature, the first thing was who did it. In that moment, everything that I had worked for was like, it was it was canned. It didn't matter. I wanted to I wanted to focus on that. But then I started realizing, okay, look, through this experience, what deal would I be doing if I moved like that? And his Correct. actions, however it happened, whether it had been his fault or not, it affected me. So again, I'm learning everything that I do, favorable or not, affects someone else, whether they're close to me or not. So I just start trying to find ways to to make it make sense, and then now again capitalize off that mistake and that wrong, and writing it right. That's amazing, bro. I mean that that's that's what it is. If because like you said it, you caught it. Um, it's easier to divert back to what was, right? Um, because you know how to do that already, but it's right. harder to maintain it. And I can't even speak on that um, because it's you know it's your personal experience, but uh, to be able to maintain that same. A standard that you had placed for yourself right right when you you were about to let it go right because that's understandable i get it that's 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 called uh passion uh passion uh whatever you know um mm -hmm. it's it's tough to be able to think that you know like right. fuck, i gotta maintain this and not let it go not throw it away right because it's easier to just throw it away you know yeah, it, didn't, um, it didn't take but a second honestly yeah yeah, yeah. it was a lot it was a lot of growing there was a lot of pain there was a lot of growing i, I cried i didn't care who seen me cry it was crazy because you know, at that time, I had to get on the phone, and there was no cell phones on the yard. So you're going through the collect, and you always got someone, whether they're sitting there dialing for the operator, trying to talk to that one girl who's not answering. People usually come right when you get in the phone call, like, hey, man, I got phone time. Mm. And in my mind, I said, I'm like, man, whoever coming to get this phone, I'm not getting off. I got a serious situation. I need to figure out what's going on. But by the grace of God or whomever was watching over me, did nobody come and ask for that phone time, like that whole hour. So I had that time to talk to the family and kind of figure out what was going on, and try to keep a level head rather than getting off this phone and acting out irrationally and making matters worse for myself. So that's when I started kind of like organizing my brain at that time and I was going to respond to that situation. It sounds like someone was trying to hold you down. Who was helping you hold you down? My family. I spoke to my family, my mom, my brother, my sisters. Everybody played a role in communicating and supporting everybody else who was supporting me 
who didn't want me to dig any deeper. And I owed that to them. I didn't want to, you know, do them a bad deed by having them invest into me coming back home, uh, sending me books and all this thing that all these things that took time to get me where I was today, not wanting to throw it away. That's powerful, man. It is, definitely. Even now, like, we, you hear a lot of stories with these youth and young adults. They burn the bridges between their relationships with their brother, their sister, their mom. So when they do, if they do, and hope to God. But if they do get incarcerated, like, they have nobody. Right. And nobody could be there to speak to or to talk to them or nothing. Um, and hopefully it's a lesson for those that are listening. Right. Um, yep. So, I mean, we're excited to see your development. And I'm sure everybody everybody else is, too. Um We'll see. There's a part two of they call us monsters, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding on that. But no, I'm you know what? Interesting. Oh, really? I did. Yeah, I spoke to Ben. I spoke to Scott. I spoke to Gabriel. You know, we would love to have one of those guys on here. I, Scott yeah. is is we we may, you know, but uh, I have I have Scott's number and everything. But uh, the Ben gentleman that I keep hearing about, mm-hmm. you know, that would be amazing. And another thing is again, we we chopped it up briefly out there. Is maybe having you and Jared sit down. Future episode, maybe it's uh, it could be something that might be a possibility. What do you think? I mean, we'll see. We'll see where the world takes us, man. We'll see what the yeah, where people you never know. I mean, we'll see where the world takes us. Shit, what if we get all four of them, man? Right, like that, you never man, know. That'd be nuts. That'd be, nuts. That'd be gold. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, we're excited. We appreciate you for real. Uh, I think uh, a lot of great things are gonna come from being able to hear people's your story, man. It wasn't heard. You said it yourself. A lot of people want to know what happened, so now it was heard. Um, and great timing too. Which one was that one? Yeah, so, all right. So, with that being said, man. Yeah, with that being said, I appreciate you for uh, taking the time, Dean. I know we had a little back and forth, but we made it happen. Um, one quick thing I wanted to do is give a shout out to my boy, uh, Kai, Juan. These guys are the individuals behind the camera, they're the ones making everything happen. Uh, yeah. um, they do video editing, they do, it goes on and on. I don't know any of that stuff, but they do. <laughs> they do we it all. Put some stuff in the description. Um, but again, we want to shout out them. They're the guy, they're the gentlemen behind the camera. They're the ones making it happen every episode, really. Every um, episode. And so everyone in the room, love y'all. Appreciate y'all. D, thank you for thank uh, you. you know what I mean. Ah, hey, enjoyable. don't forget about the homegirl Mike there too, dog. I said, Mike, I said everyone in the room. <laughs> you did not. Re-entry Mike there, our podcast is so man. We're out.